0: Numbers chapter 9 and Psalm 106, and I uh, just want to give you a thought, something I've been thinking about, and and uh, I guess a lot of times we preach things that we've been thinking about ourselves, God's kind of speaking to our hearts. So uh, let's read from verse number 15 of uh, Numbers chapter 9, and um, on the day that the tabernacle was reared up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, namely the tent of testimony, and it even Uh, There was upon the tabernacle, as it were, the appearance of fire until the morning, so it was always. The cloud covered it by day, and the appearance of fire by night. And when the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, then after that the children of Israel journeyed in the place where the cloud abode, and the children of Israel pitched their tents. And at the commandment of the Lord, the children of Israel journeyed, And at the commandment of the Lord they pitched. As long as the cloud abode upon the tabernacle, they rested in their tents. And when the cloud tarried long upon the tabernacle, uh, notice it said many days, then the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and journeyed not. And so it was when the cloud was a few days upon the tabernacle, according to the commandment of the Lord, they abode in their tents, And according to the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. And it was so when the cloud abode from even unto the morning and that the cloud was taken up in the morning. Then they journeyed, whether it was by day or by night that the cloud was taken up, they journeyed. And then notice verse 22. And whether it were two days now notice the timing here or a month or notice this, a year. One place, whether whether it were two days or a month or a year, that the cloud, notice the word, tarried. or We would say, you know, it waited, it tarried upon the tabernacle. Remaining thereon, the children of Israel abode in their tents and journeyed not. But when it was taken up, they journeyed. And at the commandment of the Lord, they rested in the tents. At the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord. At the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. We uh, we have said this before, but it was one of the first lessons that the children of Israel had to learn was just to learn how to wait on God, and uh, it's a hard lesson to learn. One of the hardest things you'll do if you're a committed Christian is you can have trouble waiting. Now, if if you're not a committed Christian, a lot of this won't mean a whole lot because. People who are not really committed to God are not overly troubled if they're not doing much. But, but people who are really committed to God, people who have a sense of spending their days, and people who have an understanding that, you know, time is going and life is short, and only what's done for Christ is going to last, people who understand that can have some difficulty in just, in just waiting and can you imagine if you were there and and you know uh for a while like it wouldn't be too hard when the clouds sort of stopped for a day and then and then if it stopped for a month and there's nothing you can do if god if god was choosing to not move for a period of a month there was, there was nothing you could do you had to wait and then can you imagine if it actually took a a year of your life was spent and you couldn't go anywhere And you realize, you know, I'm spending life. (laughs) And we're not going anywhere. And, and, and you, you get to the place you say, it's been a whole year. And where I started is where I still am. And there's nothing I can do. And, and it wasn't disobedience. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't that they were being punished. Wasn't that God was trying to do something unkind to them and keeping them there. Wasn't that? it was really the will of god in fact when they didn't wait they moved outside of the will of god so it was an important thing that god was teaching and i guess what god is trying to say to us is you are not in command of your own journey you 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 don't get to decide a lot of things that maybe you wish you could decide you just have to you just have to follow god and you have to understand when you get saved you know god is god and you're just supposed to obey god and do that. But when they did not do that, when they would not wait on God, well, that's when they had problems. Now, what happens is this, and we'll, we'll sort of develop this as we go along a little bit. Sometimes we're waiting on God for something to happen or maybe to get a particular thing from God. Maybe there's something we want. Maybe it, you know, it's beyond want. It's something we really feel we need and we know that god has to give it to us and it's something we're yearning for but we find that you know we can't seem to do anything about getting it we're just being put into a season or a time of just having to wait and that can be that can be like troubling a little difficult in psalm 106 in verse number 13 and i'm reading through to verse number 15 i want to kind of move a little bit quick because we want to get through a few scriptures Talking about uh, the, the uh, children of Israel in their journey, uh, it says they soon forgot his works, and then this phrase, they waited not for his counsel. They waited not. They, they wouldn't wait. They wouldn't, they wouldn't tarry when God said tarry. They wouldn't just wait to, to, to get the next thing from God. They did not do that, but lasted exceedingly in the wilderness, and tempted God in the desert, and then verse number 13, the awful thing that can happen when you won't wait, is he gave them their request. But here's the result, but sent leanness into their soul. I didn't say leanness into their body, but leanness into their soul. You know, their their inner being felt thin and empty. They got what they want, but it didn't do anything for them. Because it wasn't what God wanted to yield, and the worst thing to happen—well, one of the worst things that happen in the Christian life is to be living the Christian life but have really leanness of soul. You know, you're not—you don't have a healthy soul. I don't mean you're not on your way to heaven, but you—you're you, not—you're not spiritually fulfilled. You're not—you're not spiritually in tune with God, and you have to resort back to just doing things externally. But inwardly, you've got a hungry somewhat discontent soul. It's not meant to be this way. And all of that happened because the Bible said, you know, they forgot and they, they, they waited not. So it was, as it were, a principal lesson. We've said this before. You had the learning how, just to wait on God even when you're wanting something you, or, or, or you're wanting to do something. You know, if you're a committed Christian and you're somebody who understands the shortness of time, you usually have a fairly intense drive to want to achieve. You want to achieve something for God. I, I know I do. You know, I, I I don't want to live my life just for me. I, I really want to achieve something for God. I, I want to do something that, that, that counts. That's important to me. And I think anybody who's really committed in their faith it does have a sense of that that they want to live their life in a way that they're doing some things that God is pleased with, that it counts, because we understand that so much that we do spend our time with is not going to count. So many so many of the things that we do, and and some of it we have to do, but it really has no lasting eternal value. It's really, it's not going to change a whole lot of anything. It's just wood, hay and stubble that's going to be left behind. And so if you're a committed Christian, you do have a drive to want to be achieving and doing for God. And I know that's very real in my life. I want to, I want to be doing things, and I want to do things quickly, and I want to do as much as I can do, and the quicker I can do it, the better, and I want open door after open door after open door, and yet when God puts me into a season of waiting, boy, that's, that's probably the hardest thing I have to contend with. That, that I can't move when I want to move. That that me, who's used to leading other people, cannot do anything about this. I've been put into a place where this cloud is not moving and I have to wait here. And if I move out and I don't wait, what will happen is I, I, may, I may give the appearance of achieving some things, but I end up with a deep sense of leanness of soul. And I don't want that to happen either. You, you go across to Luke chapter 24, and I'm going to move quick. Luke chapter 24, at, at the end of Christ's earthly ministry, uh, he goes to them and he uh, explains something. This is after the resurrection. And remember prior to the resurrection, even though he had told them things about, about his suffering and they, they really did not have clarity in their mind to be able to fully understand all of those things. A lot more made sense to them after the resurrection when he kind of put all the pieces together. Would you agree with that? It's easy for us in hindsight to read the whole New Testament and get a clear picture. But you understand for them it was an unfolding revelation. They had to discover that he even was the Christ, and then their mind was kind of around he was going to set up a kingdom, and then they had to get to the place and understand that, no, no, it's not about establishing an earthly kingdom at this present time. And so there was a progression of understanding. Well, in Luke chapter 24 and verse number 45... After the after the resurrection, said then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. So apparently, you know, the Lord began to unfold to them the whole purpose of his death and his resurrection, and he put the whole the whole uh, ministry that he had into context of their minds, and so that now they had understanding of oh why the Christ had come and 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 why he had to die and what's to happen. And then the next thing is uh, he said in verse number forty six and. He said unto them, This is written, and thus it behoved Christ, to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And now verse 47, you have, as it were, he gives them a sense of mission. So he's gone from telling them, here's, here's the why of why I came, and this is what it was all about, and, and, and I, you know, I, it's the Son of God born to die for the sins of men. But here's how it's now relevant to you guys today, is that what you're supposed to do now is take what you know about this truth of my death and my resurrection, verse 47, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. It's a global vision. So he, he taught them, okay fellas, here's what you need to do is, is now you understand this. I've taught you from the Bible. You've got clarity and understanding the purpose why the son of God came. Now here's your mission. Go. Jerusalem, the whole world, and take this message out. But, in verse 49, but, behold, I send the promises of my Father upon you. Here it is, but tarry. We would say, wait, tarry, wait, but tarry. Ye in the city of Jerusalem, until ye be endued with power from on high. You have to wait. But we've just been commissioned... With a mission. Now we understand what we're supposed to do. So we need to get moving. We got to. We've got, my goodness, we've not just got to preach this message to Jerusalem. We've got to take it to the whole world. I mean, nations. So we want to get moving with the plan of God. But we're told, no, no, you have to tarry. And that's what they had to do. Just to wait. And what did they have to wait for? They had to wait for the visitation of God. For the power of God to come. And so what happens is... Uh, they, 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 we find they did wait. We look in the book of Acts. They were waiting. And what were they doing while they were waiting? Well, they, they're praying. The Bible says prayer and supplication. And I think what was happening is as they were waiting together, God was bonding them together. Because, you know, the women were up there and, and the men, and they were all together and they were praying. And there was kind of a sense of oneness and, and uh, uh, something was happening in them while they were waiting to be released by God. To start the uh, the outworking of the mission that he already gave. Now go across to one Samuel chapter ten. One Samuel chapter ten. And and the point I'm making this morning is we're just we're just thinking about this matter. Okay, you you you're looking for God to to maybe to do something, or perhaps you're looking for God to give you something. And I'm gonna the last scripture I'll use. I'm gonna bring you to a place where somebody was waiting on God to actually give them something. It wasn't so much a case of a, of a mission, but something they wanted God to give them. But either way, whatever it is, you're waiting. And, and, and you may wish that you were not waiting. You, you, you just wish that you could sort of, why is this season of life happening? Because in ministry, and let's say particularly in, the, in, in the people that we fellowship with, the concept of waiting is not, is not quickly entertained. People don't, that, that, you know what they think? Waiting is like you must be lazy. You know, if they don't buy the thing of waiting, it's like well, you should be doing something. And and by the way, when you are waiting, you are doing something. There are things you do. But but the but the point of it is, people can be uncomfortable with the notion of like, you know, there's not enough activity happening. But you know, I hate waiting. I hate, I hate waiting for anything. But that, believe me, when I moved to Thailand, that is being purged out of me. I'm now waiting for things I never had to wait for in my life. You know, I, I now go to the bank and stand in a queue. It's at least a 100 deep of people. And I never had to do that before. In fact, if I went to the bank in Australia and there was three people, it was a busy day, I was coming back tomorrow. And now I'm standing there and it's like I'm taking deep breaths. And you know, I, I know naturally I don't like waiting. I'm not, I'm not naturally patient for those things. And, and it's being forced upon me. But I think, I think for all of us, I think in the terms of our spiritual life, again, I'm talking to committed Christians, the people who say, look, I understand, I've only got one life, I want to use, I want to use my time for God. And then for God to say to you, okay, that's really good, but just stand still and just wait. It's like, this may be the hardest thing I've ever done. Very difficult because I, I want to do. Or perhaps you're waiting on God to give you something or do something and that hasn't happened and it's extremely difficult. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, uh, uh, this is where uh, uh, Saul is uh, anointed and uh, Samuel has uh, anointed him and kind of declared to him that he's God's uh, chosen to be a king. And Samuel says to him, in verse number two, when, when you leave here, and I'm going, to, I'm going to paraphrase this to go quicker. When you leave here, you know, a number of things are going to happen to you. Uh, one, in verse number two, you're going to find two men at Rachel's sepulcher, and, and and they're going to say some things. And then you're going to go on some more in verse number three, and, and uh, you're going to find some more people, and these people will be carrying certain things. And you'll see that. And they're gonna, when you see them, they're gonna say, you know, they're gonna greet you and they're gonna give you, he's very particular, two loaves of bread. And then after that, you know, and, and he's telling him, this is gonna happen and this is gonna happen to you. And then after that, you're gonna go to the place where the garrison, verse five, the garrison of the Philistines are. And you're gonna meet a company of prophets coming down. And, and this is gonna happen to you. And, and all of these things he's being, he's being told what's gonna happen and what's gonna happen. And brethren, those things did happen. So, that, so Samuel says to him, Saul, you know, this is kind of like, well, it would have been like an authenticating of the call of God, but also an authenticating that what God says is true, because there were strange things, you know, unusual things. You're going to meet, this people are going to be carrying a goat, and this one's going to be doing this, and and at this place you're going to meet these people. and So what Saul is seeing is, you know, what what God says comes true. And and that God is in command of circumstances and people. Have, have you ever wondered, you know, how could God do that? Did you ever have a situation where you thought, how would God do that? How I mean, you, you, you know on one side of your brain God can do anything. But on the other side of your brain you can't work out how he would do it. You know, how would he move people for that to happen in that way? And you, you try to conceive an understanding of how it could happen in your wildest imaginations. Cause if you can even conceive an understanding, you can have a little more faith, you think. Like, can just kind of work out, well, he could do it that way. But when, 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 when you just can't work out how God's gonna do it. You just, you just don't know how it's gonna happen. And so, what I'm saying to you is that when Samuel told him those things, He was being, he was being encouraged to believe when God says something, it comes to be. Now, the reason I said that was because all of those sign type things came true. But in verse number 8 of 1 Samuel chapter 10, he says, And thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down unto thee, to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. And then here's the statement, seven days shall thou tarry. And again, you know, we've been saying wait or tarry, seven days, till I come to thee and show thee what thou shalt do. And so, uh, by the way, the end of verse 9 says, and all those signs came to pass that day. Now, if you go across to chapter 13, the, the, Saul, Saul has already seen that when you know, God tells you something's going to happen, all those things happen, strange things. People coming down carrying a goat. A guy walks up and says, here's two loaves of bread, just like God said it was going to happen. And, and, and all of these strange things happen. You know, when God tells you something, it really can happen. Now, those things happen before he asked him to wait. Because waiting is a great act of faith as well. Waiting may require more faith than doing. Now I'm talking to committed Christian people because if you're not committed, it's like yawn. You know, I don't mind if I'm waiting. In fact, I'd be happy to wait my whole life. But we see that. But there there are other people who's like, no, you know, I want to live my life for God and I want to serve God and and I, you know, or I'm waiting on this answer to prayer and I know I need this thing or my heart is troubled about this. And, and it can be hard. So, so Saul is told, you know, you have to wait. And then you go across to chapter 13, and a lot of you know the story is he didn't wait. And, 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 and it, all, it all goes wrong for him. In, the, in verse number 5 of 1 Samuel 13, the Philistines have gathered together. And, you know, you read this, but it was scary. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. I mean, you see that. And then you you read a little further on how they they didn't even have spears and they didn't have swords. They had like a couple between the whole group, and it's intimidating, it's scary, and it's it's easy to read. But if you were there and you don't know what's going to happen, it's scary. And then what happens is in verse number six. And now remember, all this time he's supposed to be waiting. Can, Can can you can you can you see this this morning that it seems to be important to God? that when God tells us to wait, we wait. Can you understand that it just seems to matter to God that we get it into our heads that he is God and he gets to decide what happens, when it happens, and how long it's going to happen for. And you just need to wait and do what God asks you to do. And when you do that, that's all part of you understanding God is God and you are not and that's really hard for us to really take hold of and it seems to matter to god because he told it to the children of israel he taught them this whole business of towering and waiting and following the cloud uh, he says it to the uh, the apostles and disciples at, at the uh, you know before pentecost and just you're just going to have to just wait it seems to matter to god that we understand the business of just having to wait and just having to trust him while we're waiting and so saul you know he he didn't wait because When he was faced with this overwhelming enemy, the guys in verse number six who were supposed to be standing with him, they all panicked. And, and he had, and he waited for a time. And by the way, listen to me, you don't, you don't win any points for waiting for 90% of the time you were supposed to wait for. To wait for 90% of the time and then not wait is you lose just as much as if you never waited at all. It's like the person who almost got saved. Versus the person who was never close. Well, they're just as as damned, each one. They're both damned. You don't don't gain anything because, you see, because he did wait for a while. But then he didn't wait anymore. And he took matters into his own hands. Remember, his instructions were, wait, and I will come and offer sacrifices and tell you what to do. Well, he didn't wait. And because he didn't wait, he forfeited a kingdom. You know, he transgressed in a lot of ways. And he pleaded his case. He said, well, you didn't come on time and and all of this. But but nonetheless, his failure to wait cost him dearly. It's important to learn that. Now, uh, let me give you my final scripture. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 1. And I want to just point out some things here and then I'll finish. And you can go home to lamb roast or whatever it is you do roast in America. So in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, this, this is the story, and if you know something of the Bible, this is the story of Hannah, who, who was not able to have children. And I'm going to have to read some of this and, and just get you some context here. Uh, in verse number 2, and I'll, I'll speak through, I'll paraphrase where I can. Verse number 2, and you can go back and study it at length after. There's a man, in verse number 2, he's got two wives. One is Hannah, who we're about to read about. The other Panina, or however you want to say that, Panina has children, and Hannah has no children. So, I mean, ladies, can you imagine? Uh, uh, this happens in Thailand all the time. Many, many men in Thailand have have more than one wife. Very common. In fact, in fact, the man that I work with now, Pastor Jester. Before he got saved, and, 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 and if you get it, I don't know, brother, If you get a chance to listen to his testimony on CD, you, I think it would touch your heart just what God did in his life. But remarkable story. But but he 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 he, he tells very openly. Thai people are just very transparent. Scares you sometimes what they say. But he said before I got saved, he said I had uh, I was married with my wife, but I had many women. And then uh, one time I decided I was going to take home uh, a second wife. And I went home to my wife, and I told her I'm bringing home another wife. And uh, this is just absolutely true. And his his wife, who 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 is you know the pastor's wife now, she lovely lady. His wife's mother, he didn't. I don't think he said this in the testimony. His wife's mother had suicided. And so so the wife, when she heard her husband was going to bring home another wife to the house, now she already knew what he was doing outside the house. She already knew he was sleeping with women and doing all that. But when she knew he was going to bring home like a second wife in the house, she went out and bought a whole lot of poison and she was going to kill herself. Well, the, you know, it's a, it's a great story to tell you the whole thing, but the bottom line is he got saved and he didn't end up bringing home the second wife. The whole family was transformed. It's a great story. If you get listen to testimony and CD, it'll really touch your heart. But it's very common in Thai culture and in other cultures to have more than one wife. Now, ladies, how do you imagine this that you have there's this two of you and one husband, and even if, even if it 's culturally accepted like it is in a lot of countries, you know it just it wars with the soul that it 's not right so, so you think about this ladies you know what one night you 're in the room on your own and, and they're, they're together in the other room, and vice versa and, and that 's how this goes well here 's this woman hannah she 's married to this fellow he has another wife, but to make it just horribly worse. The other woman is able to give him children, sons and daughters, and she can't even bear a child. Now, bearing a child in this culture is is not just, um, you know, I'd really like to have a baby. It's like a whole affirming of your identity. In this culture, if you can't, if you were a lady and you couldn't have children, I mean, you felt your purpose as a daughter uh, 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 was, to, uh, was to was to was to bring children into the world. And that affirmed your worth and your identity and, and your contribution to the nation and your contribution to your family, and, and it affirmed, you know, your husband's love for you because you were bearing his children. And so, can you imagine the torment of soul? I don't think that's too strong a word for this woman who is watching the other lady who has sons and daughters, but Hannah, she can't have any. And so, so that's 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 the you know the background of, of which this is set. And you go to verse number 3, the Bible talks about they went up to offer sacrifices to the God, uh, to God, and it was a yearly event, and at that time, in verse number 4, Elkanah, the husband, he gives to paniah the one wife, and to all her sons and daughters, portion. So in the culture, at this time of year, the whole family goes up to worship, and as part of the whole thing of this annual worship, you give to your children, you give to your wife, and it's like a special time. And so, so they did that. But in verse number five, Hannah. He said he gave a worthy portion. He loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. Now she she was. It wasn't that she couldn't have children because she was in sin. It wasn't she was a bad person. It 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 wasn't that she was somehow not as good as the other wife. God had done this. She was being forced to just kind of wait on God to do something, and it was really, really warring on her soul. She felt she felt really grieved that she could not have children. And uh, this happened, the Bible said, and verse number six uh, tells us that the other woman used to provoke her. And then as you follow that down, uh, verse number eight, her husband says to Hannah, why weepest thou and why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Now, he knew why. So, like, why are you doing this? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? Say, Hannah. He said, you know, please. Look, I know this is, I know you're hurt by this, but you need to eat and, and, you know, stop crying and, and okay, you don't have kids, but, but, but don't I love you? And aren't I good to you? But, you know, she wanted to have children. She wanted God to give her something. And so, so, so she, she, she goes up to prayer, verse number nine. And and look in verse number ten. And she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. When was the last time you wept sore about something? You know, Pastor Nathan and I were talking yesterday, uh, just fellowship me a little bit, and I was saying, you know, I I saw a time in your life where God just did something really special in your life. God 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 did a great work, and I and I do remember it, and and I, it was very clear in my mind God had done something. And he said to me, Pastor, I can tell you the exact time that happened. And then he said this statement, I still have the stains in my carpet from the tears. I can take you to the spot where the carpet is stained from my tears. But when was the last time something so disturbed you that you wept sore? And that's what she did, bitterness of soul. She prays unto God and, and then while she's praying... She says, she says in verse 11, God, if you'll if you'll give me a, uh, a son, then I'll give him back to you. And then you know the story how Eli the priest mistakes what she's praying and he thinks she's drunk because he just sees her lips moving, and he thinks, oh, is a drunk woman, and he, he he tells her off. But she wasn't drunk at all. She was crying out from within about what she was feeling. So she goes through all this, and then as you read through it, and I'd love to just you know take all the time to read it, but we won't. Uh, she the verse number 19 the bible said the lord remembered her in the end god hears her prayer and and she gets she gets a child is given to her which she gives back to god now let me say this when you're waiting on god for something here's what you should do number 1 is this while you while you're waiting worship worship while you wait and that's what she did. And that's what they did with the tabernacle. When the tabernacle was there for a long period of time, they kept the charge of the Lord. Everybody understood it, you know, just, just worship God. Listen, if you, if you will just use your waiting time to worship and to draw near to God. Now I don't know what you're waiting on. And maybe some people are not waiting on anything. But some people are waiting on service. Some people are waiting on prayer. Some people, I'm sure, in a, in a, in a group this size, like Hannah, are waiting on a child. Some people are waiting on a partner. Some people are waiting on something else they need, and they've been just waiting on God, and you realize that God has to do it, you can't do it. Some people, it's health-related issues. But what do you do? When you can't, you can't hurry the process, what do you do? Well, while you're waiting, you know, use the time to worship God and, and, and get to know God more because see, that's what it's about. Waiting time is not wasted time when God is the one having you wait. Waiting time is not wasted time if God is the one having you wait. You see, see, we, 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 we just don't think like God thinks. The fact of it is, God is always more interested in what He's doing in you before what He does through you. Now, for most of us, you know, we just—again, well, committed Christians—we just want God to use us. We, we just want that. God, use me. God, let me, let me get busy and active. And God, open up another door and give me more opportunities. And and let me loose. You know, I, you know, I'm in Thailand trying to learn Thai, and at my age, you know, I'm 29 years old. At uh, at my age. It's, a, it's not easy. And, and I'm trying to learn a new language and I'm, I'm praying, oh God, you know, help me. You just have to give me some divine ability here. Speed it up or something. And, and help me because I, I want to get into the hearts of these people and, and you know, and I, I almost feel like that the, the, I'm watching the sand fall through the hourglass of my life. And I'm looking thinking, you starting language study at this age of your life, and then all you need to hear is someone say, "Yeah, well, you know, I've heard once you get over forty, it's a hopeless case. You'd never get it. You can't ever master a language then." And you think, "Oh, shut up! I just, 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 please." You know, you, you and people say things like that. And you, oh, God, I'm spending my life. I want it happen faster. But we have to accept the fact that that look for God. What he's doing in you during that waiting time is very important to him and maybe just more important than what he's going to do through you. Oh, no, 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 no. Jesus, what, was it about 30 years before he started a public ministry? Oh, you say, oh, pastor, I just think, you know, if he'd only started a few years earlier, just think of what he could have achieved. Well, just think of what he did achieve in three and a half years. You see, see, God can give you more in a shorter time if you'll be obedient. Waiting time is not wasted time. And I'm sure this morning there are people you're praying about things, you're asking God to do things. It's not happening like you want. Maybe like Hannah, you're waiting on God to answer a particular prayer. All right, so while you wait, you worship. And just, and just you, you, you know what her husband said? I really like this. When I read this, God smote my heart. In verse number eight, her husband says to her, Hannah, why weepest thou and why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am I not, am not I better to thee than ten sons? You know why my heart was smitten? Because I felt God say to me, Oh, you, you, you want this to happen? 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 All the time you want the next thing. But am I not better to you than even the best ministry in the world? I felt God say to me, Am I not enough? Is it just about seeing me do things or is it about me? Oh, I cried. I said, oh, God, that's so me. I'm focusing on what you're doing and what I want you to do. And, and it was like God said, could you just enjoy me? Would it, would it be okay if you just enjoyed me for a season? Or am, am I not better than those other things? And when you're waiting on God, sometimes that's what it's about. Hey, hey we have to, we, we, you know, I started to think about the fact Moses waited a lot of years where he wasn't doing a whole lot. But they weren't wasted years. I thought about the fact that Abraham had the promises of God, but there was just a lot of years of, of really non-consequential stuff. What we'd call ordinary stuff. Now, I know that doesn't compute well in our day and age, but God doesn't seem to be troubled by that. God seems to enjoy the fact of you enjoying him as much as what he's doing through you. It seems to be with God that, that the more you know him and the closer you are to him, the more he can do through you in less time anyway. So, you know, the, the, the waiting, what do you do? You worship. You worship. And then secondly, let me say that when you are waiting, you can feel sad. You you know, Hannah talked about in verse 10, bitterness of soul. And verse 11 about being afflicted and she felt forgotten. And when you're waiting on God for something like that and it hasn't happened, you can feel that way. You can feel sad. I don't blame you this morning if you feel sad about that. I don't blame you if you feel a little bit down. I don't blame you if you're thinking, I feel a little bit forgotten by God. You might say, I know I'm not forgotten by God, but I just feel a little bit like I'm forgotten by God. I just feel a little bit sad. Or or what's happening to me, I feel great bitterness of soul. I don't blame you for that. It's a common feeling. And she felt that way. And you can feel that way when you're waiting on God. And then then, uh, let me say statement number three is this. Every one of us has an adversary that will provoke us with words while we're waiting. And all the time Hannah's waiting on God, the adversary, she's mocking her. She's saying things to her. She's disturbing her mind. Look, we have an adversary who will say things to you in your head. You know, you're wasting your life. Other people are doing things. You could be using your life more useful. What about all your dreams, big guy? What's that all amounted to now? And then, and then, you know, when the adversary provokes, look at what so-and-so has. But what do you have? Look what they've done. What have you done? She has this, she has sons, she has daughter, and the adversary, what do you have? You have nothing. And you know, when you have nothing, you know what you start to think? I am nothing. If I have nothing, I am nothing. And it's really easy when adversary wars on your mind to start thinking that way. And listen folks, I'm, 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 I I'm, I'm, I'm telling my story. You know how often I get over. To, I'm in Thailand and I'm thinking, I'm going to tell you, this, some days I just think, what am I doing here? I'm mean, I seriously, sure, I think, what am I doing? This is so strange. I could be, I, I, I had a ministry in Australia. They didn't ask me to leave. I could still be there. I could be in other places talking to people who understand what I'm saying. It's very hard to transfer the truths of God when they're not understanding me all that well. And there are times, I, I mean, I can, I can just start to get, get, and you know what it is? In the adversary. You know what the adversary says to me? Maybe you're Saul. God's put you away. God brought along a David and you were Saul. You're done, brother. And I mean, it's awful. Now, some of you, you don't care what you do for God, so none of this really means a lot to you. But when you care how you live your life for God, those things disturb you. And you, and you start hearing those voices and you start warring in your own mind about that. And it's, it, it's the adversary and it can be very powerful in bringing you low. You know what happened to me? I got so discouraged. I said, oh, God, what am I doing? You know, I, I start thinking about my age and I start thinking about what am I doing? There's a whole lot of countries I could be in and, and be far more effective, God. Now, don't get me wrong. I love being there, but I love being used of God. I want to do more for God. I love Thai people. I just I just wish I had a miraculous ability to speak Thai and all these things would open up very quickly. The time is killing me, the waiting. I got so down, discouraged. I said, God, did I get this wrong? You know, I tried to be so careful in hearing the will of God and and I waited, I wasn't quick, and I've seen other people get emotionally attached to mission fields and make a wrong decision about going somewhere and God wasn't in it. And Lord, you know, I didn't do that. I tried to be careful, and I consulted with people, and I prayed, and it seemed like you put it all together, but oh God, did I get it wrong? And you know, God just started doing some things to just encourage me. Now, he didn't say, oh, okay, you don't have to wait anymore. I'm going to do something miraculous. We're going to have an Acts chapter 2 visitation. You're going to stand up and just speak fluent Thai. Thousands are going to be saved and it'll all be okay. Like I wish. That's not what he did. He did not remove the waiting time. But he encouraged me while I was waiting. You know, my wife and I, we started praying about a car. It was costing us about $100 a week to get our child to school. We've got a seven-year-old there who goes to school just to get them there. So I said, oh, I'm going to need a car, and I haven't sent out a prayer letter. And, and if you've been supporting me, thank you very much. And I'm going to send you a prayer letter one year very soon. You no, know, they're coming. I'm going, to, I'm going to get that out. But uh, but I hadn't sent out a prayer letter. I didn't have anything, you know. And I just prayed, Oh God, you're going to need a car. I didn't tell anybody. And you know what happened? I get this email. I got an email from Brother Cal. Brother Cal sent me this email and said, uh, Brother Shemesh, uh, somebody has sent you. Uh, an amount of twenty-seven thousand U.S. dollars, and I'll be putting that through into your bank account soon. And I'm like, I'm looking at the email, and I'm thinking, he's mistyped. He's, he must mean he must mean someone sent you twenty-seven U.S. dollars. I'm sending it to you soon. And I'm looking at him, I'm thinking, oh, no, no, he couldn't have. And then I'm thinking, well, it's Brother Cowley could do anything. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so I look at the email again. And then I think, no, no, he, he probably means somebody sent you 27,000 baht, Thai baht, which would be like, uh, you know, 800 US dollars. And and I'm thinking, no, I've got this wrong. And you know it turned out? Somebody who I barely talked to maybe three times in my life, who who I hadn't even talked to about being in Thailand, sent me 27,000 US dollars, which, en- which was enough to buy the car outright, just walk in and buy it. And you know what happened when I saw that? I, I didn't jump about the money, but when that happened, I just began to cry. Because you know, I felt God say to me, I told you I'm in this. I can take care of you, whether you're in Australian or whether you're in Thailand. <laughs> I told you I'm in this. And I began to cry. I just felt God just did that. Just to tell me, it's okay. It's okay. I know you're waiting, you want, but it's okay. I'm in this. And God's done two or three other things like that for me. Just to tell me it's okay. It's okay. While you're waiting, you're not out of the will of God. You know, the Lord shut up her womb. It wasn't sin. And then, then let me conclude with two statements. One is that the brethren may misunderstand what's happening in your life. Remember, Eli looked at her and he said, she's a drunk. She wasn't a drunk at all. Sometimes when you're waiting on God, the brethren may not understand it. And I'm afraid you can't look to people to affirm you in that. You can't look to people to tell you it's okay. Because people, people often just think at a very single dimensional level, you know, what are you doing for God? And if you're waiting, oh, something could be wrong. And by the way, we're busy in Thailand. Every day is busy. But the point is I want to be doing more. The brethren often will not understand it. E- Eli, and it said more about Eli than it said about her. Would you agree with that? Eli misdiagnosed a woman calling on God as a drunkard. I'd say that says something about the fellow who misdiagnosed it. Sometimes the brethren won't understand what's happening in your life. And there are some things I believe with all my heart God does not permit you to be able to share with other people. He's keeping it between you and him and you can't, they're not going to understand it if you try to tell it. You're just, you're just waiting on God to do something. My last thought is this, and we'll finish and, and leave here this morning, is that when you do wait on God, what you get in the end is worth far more exceeding than if you had not waited. Now, you know, Hannah waited on God. You know what she got? She got a Samuel. No one remembers the name of the other kids or the other wife. No one, no one, no one talks about them. Hannah got a Samuel. Oh yeah, she had to suffer torment. She had to have some heartache. She had bitterness of soul. But God was working in her. And when she got what she got, she got more. And if and, and it's like it's like the ministry of Christ. He did in three and a half years what others wouldn't achieve in three and a half thousand years. He walked absolutely in tune with the timing of God. God doesn't have to be in a hurry. God's okay. And if you're waiting on God, you can be smacked dead centre in the will and the blessing of God. And when God chooses to move you from the waiting, you know, you get more because you were obedient. She got a Samuel. God blessed her with that, something special. And you know what happened when God blessed her? She gave it back. Because people who wait on God, when they finally get it, they don't forget who gave it to them. You know, if you're waiting on God for your health, if you get your health back, you're going to know who gave it back to you. You won't quickly forget that you'll have a renewed sense of, I will use this life for God because God gave it back to me. You're waiting on God for something else. When you get it, you know God gave it. God did this. And you won't take what was given to you and try and make it yours. You'll say, this was God's. God did this. And that's all part of what can be happening in the process of while you're waiting. I'm going to finish and i going to have a word of prayer. You know, if you don't know the Lord this morning, you're missing so much. God wants to involve himself in your life. But he can only do that through the person of his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do not personally know Christ, all you can do is listen this morning and view it from the outside. But you can't enter into this. But it's very easy to come to Christ. And if you're waiting this morning, let me encourage you. Just... Just wait. In due time, God will bring it to be. And you'll get more. By the way, if you're in business and you're asking God to bless your business and you're waiting and you're waiting for that, okay, wait. But when it happens, you better remember who gave you the blessing. You better remember who did it. Don't forget your vow. Hannah never forgot hers.